You're listening to the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Senator Scott Rue, and I've been fighting for the rights of families and children affected by autism for the past several years. This year in Missouri, as well as several other states, we are very close to getting insurance coverage for the treatment of autism. We hope that you will help us make a difference in the lives of millions across the nations and in your state by contacting your state legislatures and saying that autism is important to you and they need to continue the battle. We want you to log on to the Two Guys Talking website at twoguystalking.com autism. There you'll find contacts, links, and more to lead the next important stage of our battle against autism. Thank you for your efforts and your time, and I'm Senator Scott T. Roop, and I hear the Two Guys Talking effort to stamp out autism. Two Guys Talking is an internet radio show providing you with entertainment, a sharing of viewpoints, and fun. Join us as we venture into the world of entertainment and discuss a variety of topics, from television shows, DVDs, feature films, and more. This week, Two Guys Talking Iron Man. A suit of iron. This one's red and gold as well. A third suit of iron. All metallic gray with a shoulder-mounted Gatlin gun. An angry, tech-educated Russian, a brilliant but still loser financier, a casual black dude with an eye patch, and a red-hot redhead. Round out the cast of the second offering from Journeyman director Jonathan Favreau in Iron Man 2. It's time for the Two Guys Talking Iron Man 2 review on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Sponsored by Sprint Relay Missouri, Acoustica's Mixcraft Recording Software, and Ability Interpreting. Greetings, everybody. I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. I'm Tony Lobosco, your other host. And Tony, it's time to talk about Iron Man 2. The, the, the plan for this movie was very simple. We both were going to take off a Friday. We both were going to go see a great doubleheader Iron Man and then Iron Man 2 preceding it. And what happened? You really want to open our podcast review of Iron Man 2 with the story of how you thought that the movie was playing Friday, <laughs> when in reality it was Thursday night and we missed it by 12 hours. Really? <laughs> <laughs> sure, why not? All right. Well. The, the, the bottom line is that I thought that a doubleheader would be a great thing not to just have on one night, but so that people could go and, and see and it. And to explain, it wasn't a doubleheader of Iron Man 2. It was, you see, original Iron Man and then Iron Man 2, so that you can kind of ramp up to the new movie. Back to back. Which that would was... have been a really cool idea if Mike could read. Unfortunately, not so much. <laughs> In any case, we went to a couple of theaters. I think it was actually was benefit anyway, because we got to see where a couple of other theaters that we had no idea existed. We got to see those. We got to have a little bit more banter time about what we thought we were going to see. And then we actually saw it at the Galaxy here in Chesterfield, Missouri, a uh, short 25 minutes outside of St. Louis. So it was a great time. Uh, I, I thought that the presentation of the movie was outstanding. The tidbits that we're going to talk about inside this podcast are not nearly nitpicking as what usually we nitpick on things. But there's a whole bunch of detail to talk about inside this Iron Man 2 review on the Two Guys Talking podcast. Two Guys, Two guys Talking Iron Man! Iron Man. Boom. The hype! The hype for this movie, you and I talked about this before we were recording. You thought there wasn't nearly as much? Uh, compared to the first one, sure. Really? The, I mean, the first one, if you yeah. remember, they had the whole Super Bowl ad. 
that was incredibly vague and it was basically some pounding and loud, you know, some dramatic music and then, oh, Iron Man. And that was it. It was incredibly short, just a teaser. Mm -hmm. And they followed that up with a little bit longer trailer, but still doesn't betray almost anything of the plot. Yeah. And then movie came out and it was a big deal. And then they added, you know, of course, you know, had full length trailer. This movie, we pretty much got a good amount of the plot in the trailer. Not enough that it spoiled it, but certainly not the little viral marketing teasers that we got for the first film. And beyond that, uh, there wasn't the the whole media blitz of all the actors do the the late night shows and the the different takeoff commercials. There was a little bit here and there, but definitely not as nearly as big push as they had with the first one. I'm going to take a little bit of different perspective. the 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 gist of Iron Man Two I thought was huge, and the reason is because for the last year I've been writing for a website called ScreenRant.com. It's movie news, and I've been doing features for them for for a long time. It peppered in there at least once a week was something new, and they had several viral campaigns. Campaigns. I don't think that they were nearly as exciting as the first film, but they, they did have the, the peppering and the hype, in particular inside of all of the Comic-Con news and the, the tidbits. That was the one to go and see because, of course, you would see Robert, Robert Downey Jr. Of course, you would see Jonathan Favreau. And what they had was this entire seven-minute trailer that included War Machine going just crazy on all of these machines along with Iron Man. That was included inside the little segment of Comic-Con, and that was, that was November, uh, September of last year. So uh, th- th- there was. There was a, a, a perceivable, palpable level of hype for this movie. Uh, oh, maybe well, it's just perspective. Uh, I guess the, the, the tack I'm taking, Mike, is... Obviously, you expect a certain amount of that for things like the Comic-Con, things mm-hmm. that are directed towards the fans. Yeah. I'm talking general layman media. The If you don't care anything about Iron Man, you'd be bombarded by stuff anyway, and so therefore you're going to get interest. I don't we had that with, with the first one. Yeah. The second one, I think it was more, well, let's go after the base because the first one was so awesome, we really don't need to do all that ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. Which uh, is not a criticism, yeah. just, just an observation. Yeah, yeah I, I agree with that. And the, the base, the people that love Iron Man and want to see all the detail and participate in all, the, all of the different viral things, that's who this movie is aimed at. There's no question about that. Two guys talking Iron Man! Boom! The money. Now, Tony, I know you love destroying all of the money reveals during our show, but I'm just wondering, do you have any idea at all what total gross Iron Man, the original film, got? Ordinarily, I'd have a sarcastic comment in which I'd exactly <laughs> guess down to the penny, but we looked it up like 15 minutes ago and I don't remember. <laughs> so, no, I don't. Just, why don't you just tell me, Mike? Yeah. The original Iron Man to date has made $585,174,222. Not $221. <laughs> $222. Worldwide take on Iron Man 2, now just a month outside of it premiering, $555,653,149. So in just a month, it's made more money. That's incredible. I, I, I'm flabbergasted at that. I remember uh, vividly the second weekend, usually second weekend is when we start talking about doing the review. I, I couldn't believe it because it was already at 365 then. I, that's phenomenal for two weeks in a film. Well, what's, I just what's don't amazing understand to that. me is uh, we looked up the how much of their domestic gross yeah. was the opening weekend, and it was yeah. a really good chunk. It was like yeah. a third of it was just that one weekend. Yeah. I mean, that's a huge opening. Yeah, the, 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 that, that first uh, two-week number, yeah, it was $128, uh, $128 million. So, again, this is another one of those perfect samples of corn combine of cash that just rakes it in and doesn't stop. The good. Special effects. 
again, this is another total testament to the ability to marry practical effects and special effects, so much so that even the nitpicker extraordinaire Tony Lovasco from Two Guys Talking cannot possibly tell the difference. There was nothing inside of this movie, I thought, at all that looked like, oh my God, CGI. No, I nothing. agree. Zero. Uh, same, same goes with the first one. I think that's something that this franchise is clearly becoming known for, yeah, yeah. is the not only the seamless integration, but the actual sparse use of the practice or the the CG, yeah, or, or at least so that we can't tell. I mean, uh, for that, example, that's I've it. never had a problem with the use of computer generated images for for background and overlays and yeah. you know gunshots stuff like that. But when you start having computer generated costumes, <laughs> like in <laughs> Spider Man, yeah, that that just becomes absurd. Not only is it obvious, you can point it out instantly. Something's not right here, but it just takes away from the whole the whole depth and feel uh, of the film. We we saw this projected digitally, which I think shows off some of the flaws of CG a lot more than film does. Yeah, I'll give you because that because of how the, the medium that. is. Yeah, and it was still hard to tell. Yeah, which again just is a testament to how much time they spent doing it right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, again taking a, a total step from Stan Winston, who sadly passed now three years ago. I can't believe it's been that long. Uh, a, a seamless marrying of practical effects and special effects and I totally have to hand this off to Jonathan Favreau who every single movie I've ever seen him direct from Zathura on whenever there's special effects involved it's seamless you look at the movie and you go wow the cast well, once again led here by Robert Downey Jr. the cast is stellar inside this film uh, in particular, we're gonna we're gonna poke at one really quick because Tony and I thought there was gonna be a total Biff moment when they introduced the new Rhodey. Yeah, as a general rule, I absolutely hate when they recast actors yeah. in any role, yeah. television, movies, whatever, unless the character has aged significantly or yeah. it's a prequel. Yeah. Then I can live with it. But other than that, you know, I want to see the same person. Uh, I was even kind of annoyed that they didn't pull back Eddie Furlong for uh, John Connor <laughs> in the third Terminator, <laughs> despite the fact that logic suggests there's no way on earth he can do it now because he's... A, I won't get into that. Um, point being is, I hate that. Recasting just takes me out of the element because mm-hmm. a certain amount of the, the getting lost in the, in the experience is continuity. It's something I've harped on on pretty much every review of everything we've done here at Two Guys Talking, is, is continuity is really important to me. Yeah. And recasting is just a huge, glaring, oh, forget about all that, here's this. And it's really it tough. It is, yeah. In this case, they pretty much pulled it off. There was a few moments that things were a little different, but I really think that Don Cheadle did an excellent job oh, not playing Don Cheadle's character, but really playing the same Terrence Howard character from the first movie, just played by him. Yeah. So the fact that he looks a little different, I can get past, because it was effectively the same character. Uh, it wasn't like he was going to put his spin on things, which is what so many actors do when they replace a, an existing role. Yeah. I'm glad he didn't do that. I, I think it worked really well to keep the continuity there. I, I think it's seamless. I think that while he provides a different representation of Rhodey, I, I, think, I think he's way more straightforward. I think he's way more straight-laced than anything that Terrence Howard was going to do or did inside the first film. So I, I think I'm going to disagree a little bit, but I, th- I thought it was great. Uh, that he literally walks in and says, it's okay, I'm here. Saying to the crowd literally, hey, look, I'm not Terrence Howard, but I'm going to do a great job. It worked. It worked through the entire film. There was never a time where, I'm, where I was like, Don Cheadle read that script, okay? And he was thinking, I think I'll say it this way so as to not be Terrence Howard. Right. I got none of that. And th- you're absolutely right about that being key. The the new movies, the new moon movies, all the Twilight series. the Twilight series, where they recast every film. I've not seen them, but that's, I, well, that's, that's, that, that's essentially what's happening. There's only three films. How hard is it right. to keep the same people? Right, but, but uh, and of five, and that they're all teenage, and that they're all vampires. Uh, 
I, I don't understand how they're going to pull it off. Apparently they have because they're still making giant loads of cash. But again, to go back to Tony's point of recasting, it's always such a weird, dicey point inside of movies. And Iron Man 2 pulls it off. Uh, another thing I think he did do a good job is invariably there's going to be the educating the audience that this is the same character <laughs> even though he looks different moments. Yeah. And it wasn't incredibly obvious and forced. Yeah. It was plot-related. The mm-hmm. whole him calling to testify was the opening scene of the movie. Mm-hmm. It was totally related to what happens throughout the rest of the film. Mm-hmm. And so they establish pretty blatantly and in your face that, oh, this is the same guy that you remember, but he looks different, without showing you a driver's <laughs> license or something absurd <laughs> yeah. that, you know, forced. So that was good. Yeah. Scarlett Johansson inside this film I thought was really, really well-placed. Uh, that, that they felt the need to make her another incarnate superhero piece inside of the... The tapestry of Marvel Comics, I don't know that it was needed. Much of the stuff that she did, it didn't even need to be her. It could have been Pepper, and Pepper would have had more role inside the film, I thought. Pretty no? positive yeah. it would have been ridiculous if Pepper well, is pushing knocks buttons out like 85 she... different people in a hallway. No, 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 no. no. I'm, not, I'm not talking about that. But the last, what? The last eight or nine minutes of the film where literally there are buttons being pushed? Okay, that particular scene, yes. But she was obviously relevant. That whole action scene with her and John Favreau yeah. was pretty important to the plot. So Right, but it could have been a three-team, and then they're just busy kicking ass. Uh, I, 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 my, my, my point is that they brought her in. They made her Black Widow. Fine, okay. Uh, but, I mean, it, it's another agent from S.H.I.E.L.D. She was pretty, she kicked all kinds of ass, but she was put in there for the people that like this kind of movie, as opposed oh, to being oh. a character. See, and I agree that she wasn't really required in that, really, if they had removed her entire character and everything the character did from the movie they could have probably tweaked it and yeah. would have changed but i think it was fine i think they got the desired benefit of the i think they got the desired benefit of the name recognizable and obviously attractive actress that they can get to to get the crowds in for the trailer oh. but they did it in a way that wasn't forced it wasn't a well you know scarlet wants a big part in the movie and yeah. she's not going to do it and so let's add her in for 85 scenes so she can be there in the background no really she was a much smaller character than the trailer makes it out no oh, yeah, usually I agree. they don't put name actresses in movies in the trailer unless they're going to be a big part of the plot mm-hmm. and in this case no i mean she was a part of the plot it was important clearly but I, I didn't get the inf- impression that they forced screen time because she wanted to be on screen or whatever. Yeah, it was perfectly fine, and I think if they would have cast her as an unknown instead of Scarlet and you know done it a little bit differently, I don't think it would have hurt the movie. So I, I think in that regard, they got it right. I, I think I agree with that. What I don't agree with is that if you remove Scarlett Johansson and or her character from this film, you've got to be kidding me. The people are going to come and see Iron Man kick ass with War Machine, period. Oh, yeah, yes, clear, no. I, okay. I doubt there's anybody that we're just seeing it because yeah. she's in the movie. Scarlet's in the movie. We're not going. Yeah. Okay. Uh, th- that's not going to happen. Yeah, okay. We have some other things that are included inside the cast. Some of them are bad, but in general, the cast provided something really strong for this film. Uh, again, thumbs up to the casting people that are involved in selecting people people for this movie. I thought it was a great job. Sam Rockwell. Uh, this was a really strange choice. I love Sam Rockwell as an actor. There's not much that he's done that I haven't really liked. Most recently, I saw him in Moon which is a really strange film. It's something I I would have never thought I was watching what I was watching with Sam Rockwell while watching Moon. And uh, he achieves perfectly at being a total ass in this movie. Oh, I thought he did a good job. Uh, I think the character was a little underused in a lot of respects. Uh, honestly, I having not followed his alternative in the comics... Uh, I don't know anything about him either. Yeah, I'll, I, I, I looked him. it up after I got home. I, I looked up on Wikipedia. And is he just the not he's super the cool character. bonus version of... The difference is, in the comics, he's an older guy. They okay. made him younger in the film. We don't know why, I guess, because I want Sam Rockwell. <laughs> I don't care for that. 
If they were going to make him steal Tony Stark's girl or something, then mm-hmm. fine, I could get that. But the way they used him, they could have made him more true to the comic without changing much of anything. Yeah, uh, That's kind of a disappointment, although I didn't realize it at the time. Watching the film, though, I thought they were setting him up for a comical death. He was kind of over-the-top bad guy uh, to the point that you kind of expected at one point him to say something and you know make the snide comment to Whiplash, and then he was going to get his neck snapped or something, and that was it. Yeah. And Whiplash was going to give him a one-liner, you know, oh, do you have Whiplash? Ha-ha, or whatever. <laughs> something, uh, something dumb. I, I, I guess I'm, I'm kind of glad they didn't do that, but it really oh, felt too. like they yeah. were setting that up for that up until almost the end of the movie. Uh, the, the bottom line about Sam Rockwell and the role that he had was he is money. And as soon as I understood that, and I didn't get a whole lot more than that from him, he he definitely is an ass. He's the money guy that's going to hopefully help Mickey Rourke's character defeat or beat up and make Tony Stark look like an even bigger ass than he is so that he can get all the money and the government contracts and everything else. I think that was the key, and he, I think he pulled that off. I thought it was good. Costuming. No. Oh. This is just stellar. I mean, pictures out of the comic book. They achieved it in the first one. It continues into the second one. In particular, I love Mickey Rourke's initial costume when he rips off the roadway guy red prison outfit and he starts whopping the the first whips that he's got. I thought that was just some of the best special effects I've ever seen. That's funny because I'm actually the opposite. Oh, you're on that scene? You're kidding. Well, I, I, I do agree that the costume was excellent in the movie overall. Yeah. And I think his armor at the end was decent. Yeah. I that that whole his what costume there was stupid. Why? What do you want? Because it left him almost completely unprotected. Oh, he's got these magic whip things. Oh, don't hit me with the whip. I'll just shoot you from fifty yards away and you fall down dead. No, he did. Totally he was useless. actually no. He was actually able to deflect the shots. <laughs> I mean, it's incredulous, but hey, there's a guy flying around in a suit of armor. Well, I, I can suspend you know, disbelief to a certain extent, but. That was that was just ridiculous. No, I I, I love that. I, I love that. I love the uh, I love the little figure that they've made, the little action figure that you can get. It all looks stellar, and it could be so stupid, just like Tony thinks it looks, <laughs> but it doesn't. It looks perfect. I, the guy is throwing little tiny bolts of lightning via these whips and walking down the street, leaving a path of destruction in his. And wake. I think I think that's the my my singular frustration with that particular scene is it looked like a living action figure. It, which is fine to sell he action is figures. a living action figure. <laughs> it's fine to sell action Ripped figures. from the pages of comics. Thank you, Law and Order announcer. <laughs> um, uh, that, that's perfectly fine for selling collectibles. My, my point, though, is that the Iron Man series, and, and honestly, I think most of the successful comic book franchises in recent history have done well because they they play on that. This is fantasy with the touch of reality. Yeah. You know, it yeah. could happen. Hyper reality. Right. Hyper reality. Yeah. And I think that I works. And when you start deviating and you have, you know, freeze frames of the the movie that are designed to elicit images of toys and action figures and stuff like that, or even a comic book still, uh, it it gets dangerously close to too much fantasy for me, where it it just kind of takes me out of the moment. I I think I understand where you're coming from. The the evocative moments, and even when they slow down half of that stuff, because you have to remember it's race cars, and he's he's slapping them in half with whips. The direction was good there, yeah. Oh, okay. This is where we make our first call to the audience. Let us know what you think. Is uh, Whiplash, or Mickey Rourke's character at the beginning of this film, is it too over the top? Is it too hyper, hyper reality? Or is it something that conveys what I think is a, a perfect comic book strip film lifted into real life that conveys something really, really super? Let us know what you think by accessing our website at twoguystalking.com. Click on the contact button in the top right-hand side of the page and let us know what you think about Whiplash's initial costume. 
Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow. Is there really, I, is really anything you want to talk about here? Yeah. Johansson in tight leather suit. Thumbs up. Uh, kicking Next ass, point. no less. What? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> War Machine. Another, uh, frankly, one-to-one carryover from the comic. Yeah. I mean, you you yeah. look at it and you go, you know, I've always wondered what that would actually look like outside of a comic book frame in hyper-reality, and there it is. I mean, you that, that little seven-minute segment that they had at Comic-Con where the end of that little segment is literally the 20 seconds uh, out of that massive fight at the end of the film. It's right out of the comics, along with the, the gun training and the the bolts blasting and everything else. It's it's stellar, stellar movie making. Yeah, no, that was very well done. Uh, yeah. I think my only negative here is that we didn't see more of it. Uh, yeah, I no, I agree with that. Really underused yeah. for this film, yeah. uh, which is fine. I mean, it's the second film of obviously a trilogy at least, if not more. Yeah. So I don't have a huge problem with that, but I would have liked to see a little bit more of that. I, I think the bottom line, too, is that we're going to see more anyway, because when you consider however many there's going to be inside this franchise and whatever's going to happen with all of the Avengers stuff and whatever else they're going to end up building, I, I really do see that happening. That's true. Have we heard anything? Is, is War Machine going to be in the, in the Avengers or any other franchises? I, I I cannot imagine that he won't at least show up in a background fighting or something. Even if they didn't show Don Cheadle. We, yeah, we don't want to pay Don Cheadle yeah. and so someone else get inside the suit. Tony, and, yeah. Well, yeah. You'll laugh at that, but uh, what, what I found out about the game, the Iron Man 2 game for the PlayStation and for all of the other consoles, is that they actually got a voice actor that sounds like Robert, uh, Robert Downey Jr., to play inside of that, as opposed to paying Robert Downey Jr. Oh, the that, money. Yeah, that's not terribly uncommon, I wouldn't think. Well, I've, I've, uh, I, as a voiceover artist, I think that's pretty cool. As as a, I'm not an actor, so I don't care. I, I just think that would kind of suck that one of my paydays disappears because they have somebody that kind of sounds like me. My guess it was more on the lines of uh, Robert Downey Jr. Dollars. Would you like to do this? Oh, yes, sure. I would. Uh, yeah, ten thousand dollars per second, please. <laughs> uh, versus that'll be nine hundred dollars, please. Right. Yeah. Two guys, Two guys talking. Carryover. We touched on a little bit about this when we talked about the cast and Don Cheadle coming over, but the carryover from one film into another. There's supposed six months that happened between the first film and the second film, and marrying those two things together, I thought they did a great job of doing that inside this film because it's been done poorly in previous films. Oh, I agree. Uh, they they almost have the previously on Iron Man. Yeah. Uh, during the opening credits. And I think that's why the double header would have paid off awesome. True. Uh, I mean, yeah. this would have been a great movie to sit through the first one. You go get a snack and go potty, and then you come back and you watch the second one. It would have um, been perfect. No, I, I think the transition was excellent. Yeah. I, I think it educated the audience without, again, being in your face. My only little tidbit of annoyance was... Your wh- only. Mm. Well, about this particular part. <laughs> Is Whiplash character? Which did Whiplash have a real name? By the way, did I miss that? He I did, and it's another? Russian. I don't remember it off the top of my head. Drago, I mentioned it. something. Yeah, we got yeah. When Whiplash, all bad Russians are named Drago, well, apparently. <laughs> when still human Whiplash <laughs> is, is watching Tony Stark on television talk about how he's Iron Man. Yeah. Apparently, that's the moment where he decides he must have revenge Snaps. for his father. Well. Clearly, Tony Stark has been on television a whole lot before. <laughs> it's not like this is the first time that, oh my God, that guy's the son of the man who killed my father, and he's famous and successful. I want revenge now. That's the first time that it, you, you got that thought in his head. How about maybe, I don't know, plotting your murder before he's Iron Man? <laughs> really? <laughs> well, but but they've got to tell a story. That's all just being smashed together to tell the story. You obviously get that, yes? I do. And my point being is I think it would have been better done (laughs) if it would have been somehow, if they were going to tie it to the first movie, have him more directly affected. 
Uh, for example, let's say uh, okay, the, the, I follow you. the Afghan bad guys that Iron Man killed in the his beginning. His cousin was one of the people that uh, were murdered, and his father wept for weeks because well, of it. Maybe not something that contrived. Maybe something simple <laughs> like uh, he was going to build them a weapon, and now he's not going to get paid, and so he's pissed. And oh, by the way, you killed my father. Whatever. Like I, you know, it's something. It, it, it was too obvious that he knew way before the front at the beginning of the movie who Tony Stark was, as opposed to the Stark. That name sounds familiar. Where have I heard that? And then he goes paging through his old father's journal, and he finds it or whatever. It seems like it's kind of in the back of his head for years and years, and he's been plotting this. And it's just now. I don't think he's been plotting it. I don't think he's been plotting it. It's probably a story that his father had told him as legend, and he realizes because he isn't involved completely in sciences because, of course, he's a physicist. Right. uh, Which I loved because playing the, the what Mickey Rourke looks like as a physicist you would never think that those two things would come together, but they do. They, they pulls it off right inside the film because that's how he's able to make this cool kick-ass thing of armor. And so the, the, the dying of his father part, I think, is kind of the match. He dies. He dies poor. He dies in this ridiculous, probably it looked like it was maybe even a hotel where he didn't even have an apartment because he was so broke. They had to live day by day uh, in this pseudo-hotel inside of Russia somewhere. And finally, he sees this extravagant expo that Tony Stark is putting on. Father dying, the legend that he's always heard about and why they're so broke. And here's Tony taunting him literally on television. Click, match starts, and the hate begins. They they should have portrayed that better. We're we're, we're, we're getting off track here. Regardless, the, the, the continuity here... Uh, from the first from the second film yeah. with this opening montage was well done yes and, and I think yeah. there was actually several parts in the film that they actually kind of draw back to the first movie here and there whether it be Jarvis yeah. or Pepper or just just how they portrayed the characters well, and the look little references the, 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 here and there yeah, I think they did a good job with that the, the, the look the carryover between the look between the story between the characters they all carried from the first movie to the second movie seamlessly Let's take a break here during the Two Guys Talking Iron Man 2 review. We'll be right back. Are you tired of paying outrageous prices for proprietary office software? Is half of the budget for your new PC dedicated to buying expensive applications? Or do you simply live in fear that a multinational corporation might sue you for the thousands of dollars of unauthorized software you have on your PC? Well, fear not! Freedom Sampler is here! With Freedom Sampler, you can experience guilt-free computing for the first time, without opening your wallet! Freedom Sampler provides a full office suite, a full-featured photo editor, web browsing and email, and much more! All without any cost, and all without replacing your current operating system! Visit freedomsampler.com to download your free copy today! Freedom Sampler! Taste the freedom! Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows has just been released. And it's time for the two guys talking Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows book report. Join Brian and Amy Sumatros as they give you the two guys talking book report goodness of this most recent soon to be bestseller book only on the two guys talking podcast. Log on today and tell us what you think of the book. Check out www.twoguystalking.com. That's the number two guys talking.com. Thanks for listening and keep those wands at the ready. Hi folks, Mike from the Two Guys Talking Podcast here. 
Remember that we're preparing for two great contests in 2010, the I Hear Your Podcast contest and the Musician's Corner contest that will start as we enter into the summer months of 2010. While the details are still forthcoming, the bottom line is that if you've ever wanted to have your own podcast or to get traffic to your current existing podcast, now is the time to plan to jump in and see if your podcast effort can garner the most downloads. In the same vein, if you're a musician and you've been looking for that special, free, successful way to get your music heard, the Two Guys Talking Musicians Corner Contest is it. Send us one track and we'll put it in the running for the 2010 Musicians Corner Contest. Look for more specific details as June arrives and get the success and attention you've always wanted from the internet for your podcast and music. It's another great offering from Two Guys Talking and you won't find it anywhere else. It's the 2010 I Hear Your Podcast Contest and the Musician's Corner Contests only from Two Guys Talking. Ready, set, go. You've been following Two Guys Talking 24 efforts for years now. Now, it's time to try out the new Fringe efforts in little bits. We're providing a great new Fringe in 60 series that we're sure you'll like. Check it all out at FringeIn60.com. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. The 24 Podcast crew launched their Fringe in 60 effort as the first half of the first episode of Season 1. Hi, I'm Kent Martin from the Small Business Communications Podcast, and you're listening to the Two Guys Talking Podcast. This is Paul's Tree Service. A person is calling through Relay, Missouri. This is operator. Uh, thanks, but we're not interested. Who is that? Uh, just one of those annoying telemarketers. Wrong. You just hung up on a customer, one who wanted to spend money with your business. A customer who happens to be deaf, hard of hearing, or who has a speech disability, calling you through Relay, Missouri. Relay Missouri is a free service that allows people who are deaf, hard of hearing, or who have a speech disability to communicate over the telephone with you and your business. Don't hang up. This could be new business. For more information on Relay Missouri, take a minute to log on to RelayMissouri.com and open the door to a whole new group of customers. Become part of a growing community that is silent but can speak volumes for your business. Relay Missouri brings the hearing and deaf, hard of hearing, and people with speech disabilities together at no charge with no sign-up and no monthly fee. Log on to RelayMissouri.com and find out how you can start communicating with these new customers today. Hi, I'm Fast Freddy from the Castle of Common Sense podcast, and you're listening to the Two Guys Talking podcast. Fight Ribbon Clothing Company. Clothing and fight gear on a mission. Fight Ribbon is the original MMA clothing company built from the ground up for fighters and fans. Clothing with a purpose. The new face of cancer awareness, Fight Ribbon Clothing Company. Because what you wear matters. Visit fightribbon.com. Ability Interpreting was created to connect people who are deaf and hard of hearing. For excellence in sign language interpreting, you can count on Ability. www.interpreterstation.com Everyone, welcome back to the Two Guys Talking review of Iron Man 2. Just as every film has good things about it, then there's the bad. Two Guys, Two guys Talking Iron Man! Boom! Wow, wow, wow!
mystical element creation. Oh. Yeah. The, all semblance of this in every film, not just this one, in well, every in movie. What other, film? what other film does the main character create there, a new element? <laughs> Surely there will be another one. If there's an oh, Iron Man 4 and 5, and they, oh. or 3, 4, and 5, and they create more elements, a pox on them. But there should never be where, all right, it's 47 minutes into the movie, and time to create a new element. Well, I would even <laughs> I would even fan. excuse the creation of the element if it was it was the main focus of the film or it was something. Oh, but that was, it was Tony. You just don't understand. <laughs> or if it was Ugh. something that was somehow important in and of itself, as opposed to in this case, it was a cheap fix for a contrived problem that didn't need to be there to begin it's with. It's a piece of duct tape, right? It's a it's a shiny piece of duct tape that's wrapped in the legend of the father's brain thought, right? And, and, and here is my crap. here is my theory here. I, I suspect that the reason that they had the whole element scene was this. Tony Stark had to be dying. He had to be sick and dying, and they used the whole palladium po- poisoning as the reason to do so. Hated that, too. And the reason that he had to be sick and dying is that you can't have drunken, jackass Tony Stark just be, oh, that's his personality, because he's a drunk. Because he's supposed to be the hero, and this is a lighthearted, family-style action comic movie. And you can't portray the dark... Quite frankly, not all that great Tony Stark from the comic books appropriately in that kind of franchise. And so in order for the audience to sympathize with Tony Stark, it has to not be his fault that he's acting like a jerk because, well, you know, he's dying after all. And, well, of course, once you have him dying, well, you can't kill off the main character in the middle of the movie. So now you need a reason that he's not dying and insert magical element creation that fixes the problem that they only inserted to make him sympathetic. Crap. I think that's all a terrible idea. I want the dark and just generally not such a nice guy, Tony Stark. I think he can still be sympathetic and be a drunk and... You know, uh, womanizer and all that. We actually started the, the our, our first movie review with uh, Iron Man with that. He's a womanizer. He, right. you know, he, he's a drunk. He doesn't really care about what happens around him, and he's rich. That, that the, there you go. Enjoy Tony Stark. And that they want to try and wrap a the the, the family friendly tamale wrapping around him. I, I well, don't. I don't buy and that. I think it's more than that. I think they're setting this up, especially with the trilogy, as the whole redemption of Tony Stark from the womanizing playboy. I just want to spend a bunch of money, and I don't care character to the hero i think they want to make that character arc i I just don't want to see that i want him always to be that guy i want him to be consistently the jerk that you kind of like because he just got does good things and he makes you laugh and he has the wisecracks i don't want him to turn into the spider-man character that's kind of where they're going with that speaks perfectly to robert downey jr's demeanor in general inside of this role that i think is actually a piece of robert downey jr oh true and that's uh, why he's a perfect role that's that's kind of him right and and that they want to try and change that or as you're talking about trying to make that into a the third movie arc man i have no interest in that at all the 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 endearing part of tony stark is that he is a jackass that he drinks and he drinks and fine he drinks a little bit more he's a womanizer he, well, and, he loves more to importantly, it's all unapologetic. Women. it's not this yeah. is my flaw take it or leave it it's basically well you know what this is how i am i'm having fun i really don't care yeah it's not he doesn't see it as a flaw he just sees that as that's his thursday yeah. And I think that's what makes the character work. Yeah, I agree, As with, opposed that. To I agree with that. Every other comic book character out there, whether it be Spider-Man or Batman or whatever, becomes a tragic figure because whatever torment in their lives, they're constantly torn between the people they love and their quest for justice or, or whatever nonsense. <laughs> yeah. Tony Stark just doesn't care. He's having fun and he gets to shoot some bad T- guys. Tony Stark. And, oh, Tony- look at this. You know, and now I'm at a big old expo where I'm the center of attention. Yeah. In fact, he literally says that in the yeah. beginning of the movie. Oh, hey, I'm back. Right. Yeah. 
And, and uh, Tony Tony Stark is torn between the bottle of vodka and a nap. Right. <laughs> and and I don't want that to change. I want that I want that internal not so great endearment to continue. Two guys Nick I love me some Samuel L. Jackson. Do not get me wrong. I thought that the flavor inside the previous film and the other films that he's accidentally appeared in to marry all of the all of the Avenger movies together with him as the pinnacle. Eh, okay, I'm fine with that. Inside of this movie, they actually went and got Samuel L. Jackson to put on an eye patch and then just appear in the movie. He there is no character here. That's Samuel L. Jackson in the movie. The difference is that he doesn't have his little goofy beret thing that he carries onto the, the talk show circuit. And I hated it. Nick Fury is not Samuel L. Jackson. And that they try to pull that off, that's not that's not right. That's not right. If you're going to take that position, then you have to not like the ending of the first movie where after the credits, Nick Fury slash Samuel L. Jackson shows up and talks to Tony Stark. And the reason is they have gone out of their way to rewrite the character of Nick Fury as Samuel L. Jackson. Apparently, they did that in the comic book, like what is it, the Ultimate Avengers or whatnot, I'm trying to remember which line it was, where they literally redefined the character of Nick Fury from the old white guy to Samuel L. Jackson <laughs> <laughs> in the comic. They got the rights to his likeness and everything, specifically to tie this all in because they just wanted, this is what they wanted. They wanted this modern day uh, Nick Fury to be Samuel L. Jackson the, 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 the smooth and Samuel L. Jackson. Well. I don't have a problem with that. <sighs> I, I have a total problem with that. The, the smooth Samuel L. Jackson is not... At all, Nick Fury. My, my Sorry. problem is this. No. I don't think they should have changed uh, Nick Fury. No. I, I think, honestly, I, the old white guy with the eye patch, and that's it. Yeah. They should not have changed it uh, to something entirely different just because Sam Jackson really wanted to play the, the character so bad. However, once you've decided that you're going to accept him, then you got to accept what comes with it. I think there is a legitimate criticism, though, of his portrayal in this film, and that's that his character kind of shows up to guide Tony Stark along. He kind of already knows most of the answers. He's kind of got that Yoda, I'm going to be annoying Ugh, and talk in riddles no. because the audience has to figure it out it's before not you do. It, it's not riddles. It is, it is the antiquated, conversational, hey, I'm Samuel L. Jackson. Get me some milk. That's what happens inside well, this film. Yes, but L- looking at him sitting inside the, the donut shop alone. <laughs> What what is that? What is that whole conversation that he has there? That I didn't have a problem. That that did feel very comic book like, where uh, you know the guards evacuate everyone and they're just going to eat donuts by themselves <laughs> and have this talk about the the superhero future. I actually kind of like that. Oh, my problem was the dialogue itself. Like that, I, the whole scenery it just it worked. The problem that I had was. Again, Samuel L. Jackson, obviously, he, you know, he knew Tony's father. He has all this backstory. He brings this chest with all the father's work, blah, blah, blah. You get the impression the whole time that he knows a lot more than he's letting on. Except for why on earth isn't he letting it on? Because it's kind of important. Well, not, <laughs> not, not only is it important, but here, let's give this box of stuff from your life that's all incredibly vital. And by the way, enjoy your drink. And he just continues to drink the night away. And then he <laughs> takes off. Right. Oh, Thanks, Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, the other half of Ass? it is we, we we had a talking to the audience scene I didn't care for where uh, <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson looks at Tony Stark, except for he's kind of looking older, over his shoulder directly into the camera. And then he explains to the audience this whole backstory about uh, the real story about your father. And then he goes on and he tells them all this. And it was a, just an incredible exposition, complete with flashback style, you know, uh, muted color uh, scenery. <laughs> 
where Samuel L. Jackson narrates the story of Tony's father, which is fine. You have to find a way to tell the audience. I get that. The problem is Samuel L. Jackson slash Nick Fury doesn't really do anything else in this movie but stuff like that. Right. And, right. and I don't have a problem with him did... being in the movie, but when a character is inserted for the express purpose of just providing information to the audience and not the characters, it, it, it just gets to be an obvious tool that I think could have been yeah. done much less lazily by the writers. No, I, I think that's perfect. And then when you add on that it's not, it's not Nick Fury conveying any information at all. It's Samuel L. Jackson <laughs> conveying the information. It's a, it's a double loser moment for me, and it's one of the big things inside of this review. Two guys talking... Mickey Rourke. Okay, so Tony's totally smoking crack on this one. I thought Mickey Rourke was extraordinary in this role. I thought there wasn't nearly enough of him, but I I really like Mickey Rourke as Drago inside this film. I I think he conveys enough hate. I think he he totally is able to transpose into a a physicist slash chemist slash tech guy that looks like he should be in prison somewhere. Uh, I think that all of those things happen within this character. I thought it, Mickey Rourke did a great job in here. Oh, I'm not. Uh, my criticism is not Mickey Rourke specifically. My problem is the character, which is he's a fine villain. The problem is he's used so sparsely in this film that he becomes a one-dimensional bad guy that just wants revenge. Mm. You don't get mm. anything else out of him. And that seems kind of a waste. You've got a whole backstory. You've got a history. His father and Tony's father, the, them co-developing the technology that basically is keeping Tony alive. That's a pretty huge, deep story that they could explore in a whole movie by itself. And instead, we basically get 20 minutes at the end of this film slapped on. Uh, it's pretty much the same thing that we saw with the first film with, uh, with Jeff Bridges' character, mm-hmm. which yeah, is yeah, yeah, yeah. we need a villain at some point in this film because we need a big battle at the end. Mm-hmm. And so here's one. And taking a character that could have easily been a major villain in a whole movie and condensing him down to a few scenes and then killing him off, it's exactly what we got here. And I get that that's kind of the formula that they're going for. The problem is, they need to just pick a side. Either Iron Man has a consistent enemy in the film, and that's, that's the story, is him fighting this villain and the villain's master plan, whatever. Mm. Or, you know what, let's just have an Iron Man adventure where there isn't a villain and it's just he has some problems he needs to solve. Like his heart that's not working right or he needs to you know, well, finance the expansion of his company and blah, blah, blah. They, they can have a hundred different stories if they don't want to have a good versus evil story and they just want an adventure. I'm fine with that. But when they try to do both like this, neither story gets enough attention. I, I think that that's a nugget inside of many comic book movies. Oh, true, 100%. The, 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 we're talking the, about Iron Man. So. Right, but the, the over-villaining, the over-storyizing, the not providing enough attention to one particular piece for long enough, the, the, the ADD stuff inside of movies in general drives me insane. It's like, can you possibly tell a good chunk of the story without breaking into something for no particular reason other than to break attention span? That, that, that stuff drives me insane in movies anyway. You see that inside of this film too where all of the breaks that happen they could be mixed around in a different way where scenes are actually longer and I think you'd benefit. True. I think you would totally benefit in particular the stuff with Mickey Rourke's character because that's why I think you're feeling that he's left alone to his own devices he's not showcased nearly enough. It's because the scenes that are that are featuring him they're so incredibly short. Well, when I almost, and then you insert more magical element exposition crap and <laughs> I it all disappears. Decide. Is the main plot of this movie Iron Man versus Whiplash, or is it Iron Man versus the problems that are caused because of Whiplash's appearance, and now the public doubting him and the government pressure? Oh, and Is I, that I, the story we're supposed to be seeing, and his Whiplash just achieving that story? Maybe I, I missed the point. I'm going to do you one better. I think, uh, because if I'm not mistaken, nobody is called Whiplash inside this movie, correct? 
<laughs> That's true, I think. Okay, something I tire of inside of the comic book movies. If you're going to have a villain and the magical knowledge of comic book people is that you know that the dude's name is Whiplash when he's got on his costumes and he's whipping around his whips. They call him Whiplash. They call him Whiplash. Yeah. What is wrong with that? You got the the super uber hot redhead in black leather kicking ass. Yes. Believe it or not, her agent name is Black Widow. And, but uh, you know, is it because they don't want to do it on the huh on the nose or you know, I don't understand you know that. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take that. the positive side of this and I would say when you've got characters names like Whiplash and Black Widow that let's face it in real life no one would walk around calling themselves that because it just right. sounds stupid uh, I'll tell you what let's call him Nick Fury well that's his actual name oh uh, come on my, my point is I, I, I understand the propensity to not make a point of saying the names that are more corny and comic book like if they're trying to go for the this, this slightly more realistic tone. I don't have a problem with that. The problem is when you've got like... Okay, Unabomber. Well, okay. Yeah, he was a superhero, Mike. I, I think he might no, have read but that he was a super, but wrong. he was a supervillain. And well, guess what they called him? Not because they didn't know his name. They still call him Unabomber. Because single bomber, it's a... Never mind. Uh, point being is... A good example is Scarlet's character. The problem I have there was not that they didn't call her Black Widow, was that they only called her by her actual real name once in the film, let alone her code name, and most of the time she just didn't get a name, which becomes troublesome because then when you're referencing her, you <laughs> right. start saying things like, oh, Scarlet Johansson's character. character. And it, get, it, 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 it doesn't work when you're, when you're discussing Unless, of course, like you're talking to a comic book fan, like Kip, who reviewed the first Iron Man film with us. Of course, when he walks in last weekend for a fight, he goes, man, I really loved Black Widow in the last Iron Man film. Yes, we know that. And it's great that you know her name. I see your point. I see your point. I, 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 like I said, I can totally excuse a certain amount of that <laughs> right because let's face it like in the first name first movie did you really want jeff bridges to say iron man you will bow behind the power of the iron monger no he would sound ridiculous and so no, he doesn't call his suit the iron he does because it's stupid but if you go back and look at the comic frames that's exactly what's said i realize that okay and it's a All comic right. and this is a movie and you're gonna have to live with that so blah i win no, I didn't. But it just whiplash will kill no, you. No, 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 no. It's always used. I think is crap. It's 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 feeding into the. I have more knowledge than you have because I'm a comic book fan. Okay, all right. Two guys talking. Lack of discernible villain. Tony, who was the villain inside of Iron Man Two? Phew. You know, I the don't... mystical element is the answer. I, honestly. I... <laughs> I'm going to get super, super unnecessarily deep for a comic book movie and say <laughs> Tony Stark was the villain. That we yeah, were, we were supposed fair. to see. That's fair. This is the, 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 the trials we needed, of... We needed the Venom know, outfit on Tony Stark this time. I don't know about that, but I think this was supposed to be the, the, the trials of Tony Stark and his learning Fail. to understand what's important, blah, blah, blah. You know, his role as the hero slash, you know, selfish guy, etc., etc. I think that was supposed to be the main focus of the film. And I think if you're looking for a singular... Uh, Skeletor bad guy that's looking to rule the world. I don't know that we had one. We we have several bit bad guys. We've got Whiplash slash Drago, whatever. We've got Justin Hammer, who obviously was not a good guy, but he wasn't really evil. He was just the greedy guy that wanted the money and mm. whatever. Mm. We had the government was effectively portrayed as a bad guy and they wanted to take the control of Iron Man yeah. and you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Honestly, even Pepper at, at some points was kind of played off as the... I, I don't know, doesn't, not quite understanding, generally, you know, mean-spirited, 
kind of taking advantage of the position. Mm-hmm. I, I, they, they definitely mm-hmm. ironed that out. I, I, I'm glad. But there was definitely some scenes where she was portrayed as the bad guy. Tony Stark was clearly not well, looking favorably on her. I, I, I guess I look at it this uh, way. Uh, Rhodey, honestly. The first half of the film, he was at odds with his best friend. Uh, pretty much I, every I character liked to have has seen, dark moments in this film. And I, I think like that to, was the, the, the theme. Yeah. Yes. There are many things that you say that I agree with. Clearly, Whiplash slash Drago slash Mickey Rourke in Whips, whatever we're going to call him, is the villain. I get that. I just didn't think they dedicated enough time to him right. to be the villain. I agree 100%. Okay. Uh, to Tony Stark being the villain, I totally agree with that. In fact, I would like to have seen more of that. Yes. Because the one drunken exposition scene, the one time that we see Tony drunk inside the Iron Man suit is apparently the catalyst for Rhodey to throw away all relationship time with him right? to and then steal house. yeah, to then steal everything that Tony holds dear. And I did not buy that. Well, that I, was something I totally did not yes. buy. And more importantly, it was done in a comical way, not as a serious, wow, these are guys that have known each other for a long time. Right. And there's a relationship here that's being right. destroyed. Right. And right. Blah, blah. It became, Instead, it was an excuse for them for some kind of laugh and one-liners. I, I, I think I, it was I, even worse than that. The tone wasn't good. Right. Well, what it became was, Tony, well, you're drunk. Ugh. You know, I'm going to have to take one of your suits and take it to the government. That makes no sense. That makes <laughs> after, no after sense I at all. I to beat the crap out of you yeah, in your house right. and blow your house Oh, out. and by the way, I'm going to take it. Is that okay? Thank you for DNA coding or allowing me to... Even if he was drunk and asleep, at some point there had to be a... And now we're going to tune it to Rhodey and let him figure out how to fly it. There had to be some piece in there and that was totally missing i get the i get the expediency of not having this whole scene of now we're going to teach roadie how to do the same thing that was learned inside of iron man one i get that i understand that but then he just go he saunters in there and goes look a suit of armor puts on the helmet and grabs a screwdriver or a wrench or something and puts the stuff on himself that doesn't make any sense at all and that's what i didn't appreciate that piece of the movie at all nothing MRS, the mask removal syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> this is something that we are never going to be able to kick inside of comic book movies. We get it. We're always going to bitch about it, but we're going to bitch about it in particular here because it happens, I think, on every single character inside this film. At some point, at some inopportune point, the mask that they have on is removed for the sole reason of showcasing the actor. I call BS on that. Yeah, I agree. It, it must end. Well, <laughs> when you're in a fight to the death, I vote for not removing your mask for no particular reason. It would get that me, doesn't make any what sense. What gets me about that is almost in every instance in this film that it was, it was used, they could have just waited another 30 seconds and then it would be acceptable. <laughs> After you kill the bad guy, fine, take your mask off, get some air, have a beer, fine. But, but while you're fighting the bad guy, in this case, the most egregious actual error was the bad guy. The ending scene of this film, which not to spoil it for everyone, but, but we're Iron Man wins. <laughs> uh, the ending scene of this film, we've got Iron Man and War Machine are both fighting viciously Whiplash. Whiplash has his full suit of armor on with his mask. Giant, giant suit of armor. And it's not just literally, the... he's got both of them at, at opposite ends, basically holding them down with their his whips. tentacles or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Tentacles, nice. <laughs> his whips. And for no reason, he pops his mask off. Not so that he might more effectively even taunt them, or he can give a one-liner or some corny little you know supervillain nonsense. No, I guess he's just a little stuffy in there because he pops the mask open for no reason. <laughs> and then what happens? 
oh, I don't know, instead of shooting him in the head with the shoulder-mounted cannon that War Machine has, instead they come up with this insane crossing the streams Ghostbusters moment with, the, with their uh, wrist uh, lasers, and they blow him up instead. Full exposed fleshy head right there. One shot, dead. It's totally true. I, I, I don't. I, 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 totally get that they're being paid to be actors. That they want their visage put into this giant suit of stuff so they can go. Look at me, I'm Mickey Rourke, making millions on top of this this suit of armor. Fine, I get all that. That's good. But don't pick the dire moment of battle to un to unface yourself. I don't understand that. If at they all. want to show the character in the the suit, etc., with the mask off, how about right before the battle? Yeah, he, it, he, he lands and, and the thing opens up and says, and now it's time to kick your ass. And then it shuts back closed and then they have a fight. Whatever. Fine. I, I'm good with that. But the inside of the dire moment of battle, they, it opens up for no particular reason except for Mickey Rourke to show off his gold teeth. Okay, fine. I give up. Two guys talking Way too much coincidence. <laughs> I'm going to let you lead this one. Okay. Virtually everything that happens in this entire film is based yeah. on a series of other events that would only happen by basically pure chance. So pretty much the problem here starts in the very first scene of the movie. Before we even have the Iron Man title card on the screen, we have what we discussed earlier in the show where Whiplash is sitting around on the couch drinking a beer, watching television, kind of flipping channels. <laughs> And here he sees, oh, Tony Stark. And Tony Stark just happens to be giving his one out of many, many press conferences he's probably given over the years. And this particular press conference, he just happens to be talking about how he's Iron Man. <laughs> and about how this new revolutionary technology allows him to be Iron Man, blah, blah, blah. And at that moment, exactly, Mickey Rourke's character just happens to remember about the tragic death of his father. And he just happens to think... Oh, you know, I have all of these engineering skills from my entire lifetime of being a physicist and engineer. And I just happen to have some stuff lying around the house that I can just happen to build into this <laughs> suit of armor slash whip thing that just happens to work exactly the same way as Iron Man's <laughs> core suit of armor does. And I just happen to have everything I need, just as no problem at all. Throws it all together. Fine, he does all that. And then we have more, we have more. We have the entire center section of the movie. So the the thing that powers the, the core inside of Tony's chest, which, by the way, he redesigned in the first film. Twice. From, huh? Twice. Twice, yes. From the rigged-together thing that he creates in the cave to eventually this super-engineered-with-computer-assistance space-age revolutionary core. Oh, that, by the way, he kind of forgot poisons you with radioactive metal. Really? He just he missed that totally. All right, fine. Maybe he's been busy. He's out partying a lot. It was the attention. animal testing. The ne animal testing yeah, stage was foregone. Never thought to gone. actually think about the whole radiation problem <laughs> yeah. when you're implanting a nuclear reactor in your chest. <laughs> fine. We'll accept that he didn't. That he didn't think about that. But then it, it just happens to poison him at just the right moment for oh, I don't know Nick Fury to show up for no reason at all. And why does Nick Fury show up? Oh, we don't know. It doesn't matter. He just he shows up. And actually, he shows up. Oh, and by the way, here have this giant bullion core of information about your father that oh, right. somebody yes. surely should have shared with that you. Then bye. <laughs> Which, by the way, if if Whiplash hadn't been involved. Was he just going to bring that anyway? <laughs> was it a, well, you know, I, I heard you have some sickness problems and I thought I could help you. And, oh, you know, since I'm here, here's a, some old memorabilia about your father that, you know, it's really not all that useful because it has nothing to do with anything except for the plot of this particular film. 
<laughs> By the way, it'll cure you. See ya. Right. Oh, and uh, so so fine. He, he gets the the whole memorabilia, and uh, Tony Stark throws the, in the, the the eight millimeter or sixteen millimeter film of his father, and given the the whole talk, and he just happens to, to to watch it through to the end, and there just happens to be a personal message for Tony when Tony gets older about his importance in the future. Of course, it's all encoded absurdly, where you know it, it's kind of a like nod and wink to the the the, the screen where he goes, son, it's. Very important that you look at all of the majesty I've created. Nod, wink, zoom in to center. model underneath. Zoom in to center, right. center of park that surely over the years would have been right. changed by people that, I don't know, want to make money. At some point in the future, you must construct this. <laughs> well, I, and I, I'm actually going to break my own little cadence here. All of this, the, the entire plot of the center section of the film from the bad guy to Tony getting sick to Tony then getting healed is all based on chance. Here Tony watches the film, which has almost no actual clues, aside from the end, which really looks more like a heartfelt son, I hope you grow up to not be a loser like me speech. The fact that, that the secret to not only the, the Tony's father's entire lifetime of work, but just happens to also cure Tony Stark, it happens to be encoded in an absolutely obscure set of schematics that are built into the design of an entire park, really? Well, that are also built into a model that somehow holds up over time. Right. That is sitting in the center of his office. I, I, again, the, the whole point of all of this here with the way too much coincidence, I don't mind coincidence. There's nothing wrong with coincidence. But when you stack and you stack and you stack and then you yank out the middle one and it all falls apart, right. th that's what's happened with this film. The thing that gets me about this, this scene in general is it didn't need to be coincidence. True. We know from several scenes in the beginning of the film that Whiplash has a set of plans with his name and Tony Stark's father's name on it, or mm -hmm. his father's name and Tony Stark's father. Well, for the, for the reactor. For the reactor core, yeah. right. So, obviously, at some point, Tony Stark's father decided, you know, this revolutionary invention here is going to change history. I should write it down. And so he makes some blueprints. Well, then he puts a copy of the blueprints inside the uh, the, the hotel esque area of the dying father. I, well, I, just, this, I don't this, get any this, of that. This is my point, which is if he feels the need to make actual blueprints, why is it that the one thing that makes it work, which is an element, a brand new man made element that technology will not exist for at least fifty years to create, as far as he's concerned, he feels the need to encrypt that in some obscure landmark crap on his desk. Why not just write it down in the same blueprint? It's not like the bad guys can safe. pick it up and do it. And put it in a safe. Right. The, whole, the whole point is the technology doesn't exist at the time. Therefore, it's really not all that dangerous to write it down because you can't build it anyway. <laughs> Why on earth risk Tony not ever finding out about it by encoding it in some absurd uh, message that he never even bothers to tell his son? If he literally, you know, when he was a kid said, you know, when you get to a certain age, I need you to watch this film and you'll understand more. And then in the film, he kind of laid it all out and says, and the key lies here. And then he zoomed onto the map. Well, then fine. Then I can see it. But he doesn't even do that. If the camera didn't kind of linger a little bit behind him, well, Tony would have never even noticed it. And it kind of had the beautiful mind lights appear on it as well. And I get that that's Tony's mind working and, oh, now I understand. I, I totally understand that. The problem is that it's it's not necessary. Oh, oh, and the, let's, the let's, whole center let's, section. Let's is not add necessary. in a whole other layer, which is that if he hadn't fallen in love with Pepper and hadn't decided to make her CEO, she wouldn't have been 
happening to clear out his old office and just happened to lean the the the, the, the model up against the wall. So it'd be vertical so you could see it from the top down. Right. Yeah. And he just happened to spray the strawberry juice on his shirt or something and went to wipe it off. And the the, like, the entire plot of this entire film is just layer upon layer upon layer of of more and more coincidence. And for nothing. They could have gotten in the same spot a lot more expediently and a lot more believably simpler. Two guys the franchise now we've been railing quite a bit on the negatives but it's just fun to rail on the negatives the the fact of the matter is that this franchise will continue on there's no way after making the again corn combine of cash uh there's no way that this this franchise will die especially after this particular film Uh, again the the dvds the blu-ray sales are going to just skyrocket the amount of money that this this franchise makes and so you're going to see at least another iron man film you're going to see carryover into the avengers films you're going to see more carryover into other superhero films i'm i can guarantee you that and it's because of the power of robert downey jr it's because of the overall picture that they painted with the entire marvel-esque franchise with heroes and it's because it makes a giant ass load of money. Oh, sure. And I, I love that we're going to be ringside. I just want to see something different built on the next Iron Man film that doesn't include a lot of the negative stuff that we had, in particular the coincidence stuff. We, we, Tony railed on a long time with the, with the coincidence stuff. But it's true. When you build the Jenga Tower out of coincidence and you toss your little hero on top of it, and when you yank out one of the middle ones and he kind of falls off of it, there's something missing and there's something that need to be put back in there so that there's glue around whatever you've got. All in all, I enjoyed this film. I definitely want to see another one. I think that we're yeah. almost certainly no, going to. I agree to. with that, yeah. But I think the, the one thing that I'm a little bit apprehensive about is the fact that we've got the Avengers and Thor mm-hmm. and Captain America because I don't know that we're going to see more than maybe one more Iron Man. Mm-hmm. I would like this to see be a whole franchise where we've got five or six films. I just don't see that happening. Mostly just because the standard two years per movie mm-hmm. is going to push just this third Iron Man to probably, what, 2013, 2014? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's going to be a good gap because of the Captain America and Thor yeah. and eventually Avengers. At, at that point, we've got the Robert Downey Jr. getting older factor. Mm-hmm. We've got... The, the luster of the first couple movies kind of wearing off mm-hmm. and the, the momentum that they can instantly make money on another one mm-hmm. maybe not as, as obvious. Uh, that's the danger. Uh, we've already seen that with the Batman films. There's talk of a third one and then that's it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think when you have a successful franchise with a good group of characters that are well cast, I think you really should run with it. And I don't think you should run it into the ground. But I, we, we've seen success with films like the James Bond movies or even the Star Trek movies where you've got a good solid you know, few characters that kind of pull it, and you've got an infinite number of stories you can tell. Yeah. Why not keep going? Why not have just a lower budget, you know, not nearly as grandiose Iron Man movie you know, every other summer? Why not? We could, you could do it. Uh, well, I, I think the thing I take from Robert Downey Jr. in particular, because obviously he's the focal point of this entire franchise, there are many things that make the Iron Man franchise, but clearly, oh, clearly Robert Downey Jr. is right in the front. And what I've liked is that over the last several years, he's done so many movies that you would never thought, well, you know, he's busy with Iron Man and he's busy with planning the next sure. Iron Man. And he's done really good movies inside of those. And so I, I think they'd be able to do it. I think to be able to do it, they need to keep John Favreau on as director. They need to keep the core of the characters. They just got to tighten up that story and they'd be just fine, I think. So now we come to the part of the two guys talking Iron Man 2 review where we rate this film by journeyman director Jonathan Favreau. Tony, where are you on Iron Man 2? 
Before we started recording this evening, I wanted to go back and see what I rated the first film. Because while the second film is a good movie, it wasn't the great movie uh, that the original one was. No, I agree. And I think that's impossible. Uh, there are very few sequels that are equal to or better than the original. Mm -hmm. And in this case, the, the first movie was just so much better than everyone was gonna thought it was going to be. Uh, I mm -hmm. expected the first one to be decent, but not great. I yeah. never thought it was going to be my favorite comic book movie or anything like that. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what it turned out to be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, turns out I, I rated it a four, which sounds really, really horrible because we rate pretty much all of our stuff out of ten. But apparently, back when we were reviewing the first <laughs> Iron Man film, we were using five stars instead of ten. And so I, ra I rated a, a four and a half. Uh, out of five, uh, or, or four on Mike's magical no integer <laughs> scale. Uh, so, so using the 4.5-ish uh, out of five scale for the first one, that, that equ equates to about a nine, uh, or a 90%, uh, for those of you who uh, who like math, for the first film, which I think is it's, it's about as high as you can realistically go on anything uh, without getting a little bit fanboyish. The second film, not quite as good. Uh, I would say I'd give it an 8 out of 10 or a, a 4 out of 5 in, in this case. There was a lot of really positive things. I think, the like you said, Robert Downey Jr. totally held consistent with his character. Mm -hmm. uh, we got to see a little bit of the darker side, which I did like, even if it wasn't as much as I would have liked. Uh, unfortunately, the, the inconsistencies, some of the, the weird coincidences, and, and quite frankly, the lack of a discernible bad guy, uh, for lack of a better term, it really wasn't It wasn't as engaging as the first film. The, the pacing in general of throwing all of those things together yep. into the, the mush. <laughs> While it wasn't boring by any stretch of the imagination, there was definitely a few parts where I was kind of concerned, well, well, how are they going to tie this together? Where are they going with this? And they really didn't, because it was just kind of a collection of different stories all in the same movie. Uh, so for that, I got to knock off at least one point. Uh, it was still a good film, uh, but I'll, I'll give it an eight uh, or four, depending on what scale that you decided to use today. Yeah, it, it's funny that you mentioned pacing, because during our 24podcasts.com effort, what we've always focused on is pacing. Because when you use pacing appropriately, you can plow right through a bunch of unbelievable crap, and it still kind of works. I think that pacing was probably the biggest villain inside of this <laughs> film. Uh, hands down. Uh, the reason I know this is because there were pieces of the story where I, I kind of just drifted off. My attention span was like, hmm. Uh, and that's not supposed to happen inside an Iron Man film. Uh, the, the, the pacing of this film, something was missing inside of this, the pacing of the movie. When you add on the little elements that brought up question marks or didn't allow me to push through, just like everything does with pacing, that's when it started to get hitches in the, hitches in the wagon here. And I thought this was a fine film. I'll be buying it on, D on DVD, probably Blu-ray. If they do the route of the Blu-ray and DVD pack together, I will gladly buy that Blu-ray because the features are going to be stellar on this. It's going to be great. But I have to give this movie a 3 of 5, which is a standard, good, go-and-see-it movie score. But it is not the 5 of 5 that I gave the original film by any stretch. It's a standard, good movie, good summer movie. But it is not the 5 of 5 of the original film. And so what did you think of Iron Man 2? Why don't you let us know by accessing our website at twoguystalking.com, click on the contact button on the top right-hand side of the page, fill out the quick web form, and let us know what you thought of Iron Man 2, directed by Jonathan Favreau, starring Robert Downey Jr., 2010. So until next time, where we do another feature film review, I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. I'm Tony Lobosco, the other host. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. 
Remember to get out to local stores and buy the soundtrack for Iron Man 2. It's outstanding and you will not be disappointed. You can also access our website at twoguystalking.com, click on the review of Iron Man 2, and you'll see the icon to buy the Iron Man 2 soundtrack, which will give a little bit of kickback to Two Guys Talking. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Two Guys Talking Show. We hope you'll tell your friends and co-workers about us, and don't forget to put us on your podcast list. As always, you can visit and contact us online at twoguystalking.com. That's the number, twoguystalking.com. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. Well, before I started, uh, before, before we started taping this review, uh, we went back and I wanted to see what I rated the first taping. Film. Really? God, all right. <laughs> before we started digitally capturing this, <laughs> you'd hate my father. He still calls uh, CDs records. Oh um. my! Death by dog for your father. <laughs> Holy shit! All right. Uh, Quick, bring my gramophone. <laughs> it's time to etch brass. 